Hello everyone, One here. As promised, this is episode 4 of the Bold Scientist podcast. It is a little different from the one I envisioned originally, but I think you're going to like this one. Incidentally, the day that this episode will air, <laughs> as it were, will be my late father's birthday. Those of you who know me know that I miss him a lot. So, puppy, this is for you. This is the Bald Scientist Podcast, where we talk about science, from the factual to the fictional, and sometimes a bit of both, with the good doctor, One R. Pagan. We all change when you think about it. We are all different people all through our lives and that's okay that's good you got to keep moving so long as you remember all the people that you used to be i will not forget one line of this not one day i swear i will always remember when the doctor was me recognize that voice Got a little misty-eyed? Yes, that was the 11th Doctor, in the episode when the Doctor played by Matt Smith regenerated into the Doctor played by Peter Capaldi. I'm not gonna lie to you, I get goosebumps every single time I rewatch the episode. You see, Doctor Who speaks to me at so many different levels. Doctor Who is one of my favorite science fiction shows, and the Doctor is one of my favorite characters. Ever. Well, if you have never watched Doctor Who, allow me to say, I don't know who you are anymore. I'm just kidding. But seriously, try to watch it. I of course like it in big part because of the science character, no question about it. But it has so much more. It has adventure, it has drama, it has romance, it has poignancy, you name it. I really, really, truly recommend it. The Doctor is an alien from the planet Gallifrey, and depending on the specific timeline in any given episode, the Doctor can be up to maybe 2,000 years old or so. But let me tell you something. You and I are the same age as the Doctor. By now you know that I'm being a little facetious. How can that be? What I'm talking about is that the atoms that make the body of the doctor and the atoms that make your body or mine are the same age. Virtually every hydrogen atom in your body's and mine and in the doctor's body was generated at the moment of the Big Bang. We have talked about that before. And all the other heavy elements, we talked about that before in a previous episode, were generated within stars. So far, so good right? But one thing is to talk about the age of the actual atoms that make up any type of organism, and the period of time in which those same atoms have been organized in a particular way, forming a particular organism. For example, the specific atomic molecular arrangement of a certain magnificent example of a human being called One Pagan will have existed for 56 years this December. But there is a big catch, though. The reality is that the particular arrangement of atoms, molecules, in time and space of any organism 
including humans, it's anything but fixed. Every single human being alive now that has lived before or that will live in the future shares the same characteristic. We are always changing. Nobody is special in that sense. That happens to all of us. And in order to understand the implications of this fact a little better, we can refer to a paradox that was recorded for the first time by the Greeks in the first century or so, but I'm pretty sure it's more ancient than that. That idea is called the paradox of the ship of Theseus. This idea is presented in the classical literature in a much more lyrical form, but it goes something like this. Let's suppose that you have a wooden boat, okay? And with time, you need to keep replacing the planks, the, the, the wood of the boat. You replace one part here, one part there, and over the years, you would have replaced every single part of that boat. Follow me? My question is, since you have physically replaced every single part of that boat, is it the same boat? <laughs> Think about it. That particular idea can be applied to a, a car. Okay, you keep fixing the car and changing the, its parts and whatever. You can do that with a computer. You can do that with any type of machinery. <laughs> so far, so good, right? Here's the rub. The same thing applies to you, to me, to the doctor, and to everyone. No exceptions whatsoever. You see, the atoms that form the baby that I was 50-something years ago are no more within my body. As part of the normal uh, biological process of maintenance and repair, this process exists universally in any living thing, and it's called autopoiesis, which literally means physical maintenance. The reality is that the actual, literal entities that we are change constantly over time, including our very own brains. It is common knowledge that every year, about 98% of all the atoms in a human body are replaced. This idea was stated originally in a 1953 lecture on radioisotopes. I think I found the reference and I put it in the episode notes, but I'm trying to trace and find some earlier articles. Again, this means that in a literal sense, the physical substrate of our brains, and by implication what is most likely the physical substrate of our sense of self, changes over time. Again, the baby who I was, the boy who I was, the teenager who I was, the several versions of an adult that I have been over the years are literally no more. And yet, I feel like myself all the time, and that has happened throughout all my life. I hope that you do too. Nonetheless, again, the physical you has changed. Not only that, if we want to go and take it a little step further, and in a more philosophical way, if you will, you and I are not the same people that we were oh, nine, ten months ago, if you know what I mean. And two weeks from now, we're going to be very different people, hopefully in a good way. 
one of the most awe-inspiring aspects of autopoiesis is that over time, the information, the physical substrate that encodes the information of what makes you, you, and what makes me, me, is conserved. It's maintained, if you will. It is not a perfect process because, after all, we age. In technical terms, aging is also known as senescence. And before I forget, I gotta tell you that this aspect of biology can be very much studied with the help of certain good friends of ours, the flat ones. And here I have to say hello to Jen, who is one of my two Twitter sisters, and the one who baptized me, Professor Worm. So, hi Jen. <laughs> anyway, Certain flatworm species display a very interesting property, and no, I'm not talking about regeneration, although it's related to that. You see, several types of flatworms do not seem to age. They do not display the biochemical markers of senescence. So, these little worms are the gift that keeps on giving. And we will certainly talk about it in a future episode. But you know that I gotta mention flatworms in pretty much every episode, so yeah, bear with me. Now, going back to the idea that, paradoxically, even though we are always changing, we retain our identity, let me try to express it in a slightly different way. I always feel like myself. I am always on it. But I am constantly changing too, in the sense that uh, I have been different people, just like the doctor, over time, with different ideas, different points of view, different priorities, okay? But again, I have always been, and will always be, on it. So here's the deal. Bottom line, in a real, literal sense, you and I are essentially information. If this idea sounds scary, it's because it is. And I, even though I'm a scientist, I am a cowardly one. I'm kind of thankful that we do not have yet the technological know-how to really test this type of ideas. For example, if and when we get the technology to upload uh, our consciousness into a computer, and let's suppose that I do it, who is the real me? This is not a new idea. It has been explored in science fiction for ages. For example, in the series uh, Battlestar Galactica, the new one, the newer one, the, the reimagined one, <laughs> okay, the enemies of humanity, their robotic silence, they didn't really ever die because they were able to download their consciousness into a brand new body. So that opens the proverbial can of worms. Yeah, I said worms again. <laughs> with a lot of philosophical implications. I also explored this idea in my story, The Voice of the Heart. Let's think about another example, this time from another super famous uh, science fiction series, Star Trek. You know that in Star Trek, part of the universe of Star Trek is based on the fact that their starships, they don't land in every planet. Every, in every single episode. People uh, and aliens and everything in between, they are able to transport from one place to another using the transporter. And there's a lot of philosophical implications uh, also in terms of who is the real you. 
The one that was in the transporter pad who dematerialized or the one that reappeared in another place? And what if there's a transporter malfunction and there's two of you? Who's the real one? This was explored in an episode called Second Chances. I encourage you to take a look at it. Yet another concept that is relevant in our discussion, if and when we invent time travel, okay? Who's the real you? You go to the past or you go to the future and you see yourself, right? So think about those things. I do. I kind of think weird things. <laughs> well, my beautiful listeners, I'm going to finish our expedition down the not-so-proverbial rabbit hole with a story. Will you join me? Stars generate their energy through a process called nuclear fusion. In younger stars, the main players are hydrogen atoms. Remember that they are the most abundant type of atoms in the universe, generated at the very first moment of the Big Bang. The physical environment at the center of stars is brutal, to say the least. The temperatures and pressures there provide the conditions that make atoms collide with each other with such an amount of energy that allows them to overcome the natural repulsive forces that keep them separate. Let's talk about the simplest situation. When this happens between two hydrogen atoms, they fuse with each other, and that initiates a series of events that end up forming a different kind of atom, helium. Now, this is when things begin to get interesting. When all these steps occur, the intermediate physical entities that lead to the final product, helium, possess slightly less mass than the atoms that we initiate this process with, the two hydrogen atoms. So, where does the small amount of missing mass go? It is converted into energy, and here's why. The main reason why this small amount of uh, remaining mass is so important is because in our physical universe, matter is a form of energy, we all know that. You may have heard it stated in another way, E equals mc squared. This fact was firstly realized and formulated by no other than arguably the best known scientist ever, Albert Einstein. If you do not know who Einstein was, as I have said uh, elsewhere, I weep for you and because of you, <laughs> but I digress. Anyway, based on this relationship, E equals mc squared, which essentially means that the energy generated by a certain amount of matter is uh, proportional to the square of the speed of light, which is 300,000 kilometers per second, so it's a really big number. That means that a relatively small amount of matter, by virtue of being multiplied by the square of light speed, generates a huge amount of energy. So, even a small amount of matter, multiplied gazillion times in all the atoms in a star, generates enough energy to make a star shine. And if you remember, these fusion processes keep happening and happening, generating heavier elements, including the elements of life, carbon, nitrogen, all the things that we talked about before. So remember that we are all stardust, right? Remember the majesty of this concept. Now, let's follow that energy 
that was released in our original example from the fusion of two hydrogen atoms. That happened, let's suppose, at the very center of the Sun. And let's suppose that we generate a single photon or particle of light, sometimes a wave, but let's not go into that right now. That photon began to bounce back and forth inside the Sun for 100 to 200,000 years after the fusion event. And this is a true figure. Can you imagine that photon of light bouncing back and forth for 200,000 years? After it reaches the surface of the Sun, it gets emitted. And let's suppose that it's being emitted in the general direction of the Earth. Eight minutes after that, it reaches the Earth. And let's suppose that that photon alongside a bunch of other photons, is captured by a blade of grass. Now, that blade of grass is formed by millions upon millions of cells, which contain a certain organelle called a chloroplast. In the chloroplast is where photosynthesis occurs, and in photosynthesis, the energy released by a particle of light or a photon is used to make up bigger complex molecules like sugars, proteins, and whatnot. Now, in all likelihood, you do not eat grass. But let's say a cow. A cow can eat grass, and it does eat grass. A cow produces milk. You can consume the milk, preferably in frappuccino form. <laughs> or, if you don't like milk, you can obtain nourishment from the cow in some other ways. Now, the point is that the matter present in two hydrogen atoms, actually millions, gazillions of hydrogen atoms, was converted into energy due to the process of thermonuclear fusion. That energy was harvested by plants and converted back into matter okay, to create complex molecules that were consumed by an organism, let's say a cow. And when you get your nourishment from a cow, you incorporate those complex molecules into your own system, powering up the never-ending autopoietic process that we talked about before. The bottom line is summarized by the very last nugget of wisdom that I'm going to offer you today. You, past, present, and future, all the entities that were you, that are you, and that will be you, are essentially processed solar energy. <laughs> Boggles the mind, doesn't it? Well, my beautiful listeners, this is it for today. Thank you for listening to me. If you have any questions or comments, please uh, send me an email to orpagan at yahoo.com or comment at bolsinus.com. If you want to subscribe to my blog and if you want to subscribe to my podcast, I promise you I will not be offended. And I will be very happy if you spread the word about the blog and the podcast. Now, please, please, pretty please, stay healthy and safe. Be careful out there. And I hope to talk to you in a couple of weeks. Be good. <laughs> On out. Bye-bye. <laughs>